the distance between you, you and yourself will get smaller by sadhana, even though there is no distance. It may be a, contra a, contra a contradiction, but it's no contradiction. St somehow we have to have this aspiration to find our what we truly are. Don't take your role which you are playing on this stage too seriously. I mean, take it seriously. Play to the best of your ability, but uh, in the sense, always try to remember who you really are. There are so many ways to connect. You can connect via bhakti or jnana, reflecting or karma or even yoga and pranayama are helpful. And I feel also just ask for it. Ask that you get help, that you want to know the truth and uh, you need help for it. Namaste to all of you. Namaste. Actually, namaste to the Atma in each one of you. So it is about my book and uh, the title is Thank You India. Very easy because I am grateful that I can uh, live in this beautiful country and that I was allowed to see uh, beneath the surface and discovered this profound wisdom which is here. So I put up first because I cannot, I have to be very careful not to get lost because there's too much in the book. So I just can take out a few things. So I put up the table of contact. For the first seven years, I was constantly on the move. I had no fixed place anywhere. I did not leave a bag anywhere. I was having just for one bag and after two years I had two bags because I had a typewriter also. I had started to write. And so the, the first 20 chapter, basically, I met so many gurus. I met, um, I went around India a lot and reflected also, and my outlook changed. Then the next, up to 20 chapter, it is my first seven years where it started. And then the next uh, chapters are my time with gurus. I stayed with two gurus successively, first with a very famous one, Sai Baba, and then with a very uh, unknown one, a coffee planter in Kork, life in Kodagu. Then that's one Nita guru. I met also Amritananda Mai, and uh, I did the basic course of Ravi Shankar. I went to Gangotri. And then I moved to... In a, into a normal surrounding, away from ashrams. Till then, I was very sheltered. I did not have a newspaper. I did not have a TV. I knew nothing about India except very vaguely. Yes, there were some Mughals earlier here, and uh, yes, the British they brought the railways, <laughs> railways to India. I mean, very little. I knew, like most Westerners, especially the young ones who come, they know nothing because we don't hear anything there. No? So you have to make some allowance for them that they may be a little stupid also in uh, reacting. So when I, when I settled in Dehradun, I realized there was a very different India or a very different type of Indians, which are called usually the seculars. I got into their uh, kind of circle and discovered something very um, discomforting. And that's when I got really also frightened about uh, whether this beautiful, profound wisdom, which is here, 
really will survive because it's so much under attack. So I came on a stopover only on the persuasion of a photographer friend who had uh, an assignment for wildlife sanctuaries. I did not come for spirituality because India, I didn't, um, Buddhism, yeah, I read on Buddhism, but India was not uh, on the ra radar except for some gurus which were a bit strange maybe, but uh, like Osho and, and Hare Krishna said, and they were made, they were made very, to look very bad in Germany, the press. So after the wildlife sanctuaries, we went to Kanyakumari, and there I bought, there's a memorial for Swami Vivekananda, without knowing who is Swami Vivekananda. I bought two books actually, but the one which impressed me very much was Dhyana Yoga. And it was, uh, it, it sorted out the philosophy for me. I always was asking what is important in life. I had since long this question. I wanted to know what is really the meaning of life. When it's the end there is death, what is the point even of making any effort? So um, this question was there. And when I, when I read Swami Vivekananda, it made immediately sense, ha, huh, we are actually one with everybody. And this is more like a dream or like a virtual reality. We are like actors on the stage and we should find out who we really are. So this made immediately sense, but I don't think I would have stayed on in India just because of the book. I might have moved. But this friend went back to Germany and I definitely wanted to see the Himalaya. So when I went first, of course, to Hartwa, there the Kumbh Mela happened. And I did not know what Kumbh Mela is. And I was very fortunate to get a place even because you can imagine the crowds. And uh, I landed up in the best place actually in the tourist bungalow right by the Ganga. But I had the injunction that I move on the roof. I sleep on the roof on the main uh, because it was fully booked on certain days. So this was okay. Several people slept on the roof. So then there I met some foreigners and they took me to the guru. And their guru was Ananda Mama. She was very well known at the time. I did not know, of course. But when I first saw her, she was sitting on a chair and some group was standing around her. And she didn't talk, but she just looked. And when her eyes met my eyes, I just cried. I mean, really tears just without being happy said, I could not explain it. I felt actually very embarrassed. But I had this very strange feeling that there's nobody there behind those eyes. I mean, later I felt maybe this feeling was actually right because there's no ego in her, no personality in her. So I went every evening for her darshan and I got help also from two older foreign women at the time. They stayed already a long time in the ashram. One was a German. And one was an Austrian Jewish who came for Krishnamurti and switched over to Ananda Mama in 1945 already. So then they explained, I was asking, what does it mean to be enlightened? It means that God shines through her fully 
yeah, but what does it really mean? What is God? I mean, in, in Hamburg University, my uh, God didn't figure in my vocabulary. It was, um, I mean, you would have been ridiculed if you would talk about God. And even in Germany, it always felt, I felt very uncomfortable when even my mother, anybody, would talk about God because it felt so hypocritical somehow. And in India, suddenly it was so normal. Everybody talked about God or Bhagwan or Hari or whatever name you give. So then I tried to find out what is meant by God. Now, in mass surrounding, Atmananda told me many stories. And there were also small booklets with, with her sayings. So this is Ananda Maima. And she was basically telling, you have to do sadhana. The distance between your, you and yourself will get smaller by sadhana, even so there is no distance. It may be a, contra, a, contra, a contradiction, but it's no contradiction. Somehow we have to have this aspiration to find our what we truly are. If we are not what we are, then of course we should find out what we are. No? I mean, I really took it serious in, in this way. So she said, there are no others. All is one. And she even said, I make only for convention's sake a difference between you and me. There are no others and I don't see any others. And then she was very, very clear about um, life is meant to realize the truth. It has to be for first, uh, first priority. I mean, it may sound difficult. It, it, it may sound difficult in a normal uh, daily job and whatever. But if you think about it, maybe one should at least dedicate some, some time for trying to find out who one really is. And then, of course, she came purely from Advaita. She was saying, all is one. And at the same time, she stressed very strongly bhakti. He said, without loving God, you cannot get anywhere. Now, this was also difficult for me. How can I love something which is not visible? And, but it made also sense if in everybody is the same Atma, and in Germany we, are, we think that falling in love is the ultimate happiness and the only purpose in life, or how to say, the highest goal in life, you are jealous if somebody is in love and <laughs> something like this. So it made sense if in everyone is the same Atman, then how can I try to single out one person? So I thought a lot, a lot about it, about God and about love. And she said, make Bhagwan your closest friend. So I was serious and I asked him, you have to help me. I can't see you. So my my whole my diary became a conversation with him and it was not always easy because also around Ma they were very uh, cultured Indians very nicely dressed with a lot of jewelry and we foreigners were a little out uh, out of tune and if she would give a lot of attention to the Indians often even the Rani of Terry was there and like high class people so I, and she ignored me long enough, and I was really fighting with God and said, I know you love them, but do you love me also, no? So there was, uh, it was a struggle, and, uh, but I feel when the aspiration is uh, pure, 
I feel also honesty needs to be there, then things will happen. And then the one sentence of Ma helped me a lot. It was, um, she was asked, is it okay for girls to work nowadays? Women also work. Is it okay? It was long ago. No? And she didn't really answer, but she said, people don't understand. If they focus on God, on Bhagwan, and they give freely from what they have, be it knowledge, be it money, then they are taken care of. You don't have to worry. So I took it very seriously and I didn't uh, plan for my future. <laughs> <And> <laughs> my parents were not so happy. <laughs> In fact, when I had once an accident, uh, quite serious one, I lost my memory for a time and then they put uh, life insurance for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, then um, I roamed across India, met many sadhus, sannyasis and gurus. And at the same time when Ma was in, in Hatwa, Devaraha Baba was also there. And the strange thing, he was ancient. And I, he was really ancient. And on the internet it says, it says one Lucknow lawyer who says he was there for seven, uh, his, his family was uh, devotees of him for seven generations. Even uh, Rachendra Prasad, first uh, president of India, he was saying three generations or something. I met, a, I met an old man, he gave me once a lift, and he said, uh, when uh, I was a small boy, my grandfather told me when he was a small boy, Devaraha Baba was already an old man. So, and I really liked him, and he actually gave me his blessing when I told I want to stay longer. After staying for two, three weeks around Ma, I knew already I don't want to move on to Australia now. I never knew how long I want to stay. I just felt I, I haven't finished in India. So, so then uh, I liked him a lot. I don't know. I really felt like my heart was jumping with joy when I when I thought I would see him again, which was very odd. No? So. <laughs> Then uh, he is very beautiful. I think he drew many people, many foreigners also. Herakam Baba, who was said to be Babaji of Yogananda's autobiography. But I, I couldn't get clear. Well, I, I could not decide, is he, is he not? And um, I don't know. I still don't know. He died quite young. In fact, Pilot Baba was thinking that he was poisoned. So I don't know. I went to Ramana Maharishi's ashram where... I always liked his books. This Austrian woman, she she knew we talked a lot. I typed for her also after some while, and she knew to every uh, issue a quote from uh, Ramana Maharishi, Ramakrishna, Vivekananda. She knew so much. No? So I discovered quite soon uh, Ramana Maharishi's conversation, which were very helpful to pull you back. It has always to to, you have to turn back into your side. If you are always outside, um, you kind of dissipate yourself and you miss out something actually. In fact, Ananda Mama once said, um, people say these sannyasis, they are so um, pitiable more or less because they miss out on the choice of the world. So, and she said, these people don't know what they miss out. This inner joy is much, much greater. So she motivated really. Some friends from Germany came who had a, a Tibet aid and they invited me to join them. 
and we had a nice talk one hour dalai lama was saying like family like family isn't it <laughs> so and then even he said when he realized i'm more hindu not a buddhist so he he said uh, do you think that the concept of atma in hinduism makes a difference to buddhism and i immediately said no atman is brahman there's no separate atman it's one with all upanishad say i am atma brahman all is so let, this is uh, some photo from early this photograph a friend took i i don't know uh, sorry who this boy is he sent me in the cows actually on the real photos there are many more cows visible <laughs> and i like the photos for the cow and uh, you can see what uh, difference 40 years make in the face <laughs> but also i feel inwardly i was very uh, shy and inhibited at that time so in inwardly somehow uh, i improved a little but outwardly <laughs> maybe not much so this was also when when ananda my mom moved to dehradun some italians uh, went with her and they also asked me to join them and we stayed in a little simple place and a few years ago one of those italians discovered me on the internet and it, he uh, contacted me and he sent this photo so because i didn't have photos from that time so now after moving for long time through india i i didn't go to guru because i thought i have to do what he says no? so then but i was not sure and when i was in tiruvannamalai once i met uh, ramsurat kumar and i asked him does one need a guru and he said does one need a guru what a philosophical question ask a philosopher such a question very annoyed he looked so i said um, okay do i need a guru then he he looked a long time above my head and then he said go to sai baba then i said but i don't want a guru and then he laughed and laughed and said if you don't want a guru then don't take a guru why should you take a guru but it will be good if you go to sai baba so i went to sai baba and i stayed for full 7 years there it so happened i mean somebody asked me if i would take her room for one year because she has done it up very nicely so i was a little tired from the road 7 years on the move so it was tempting and i agreed and then i was stuck for one year and after one year it was easy to stay on because uh, and it was a beautiful place i mean the whole world was there from from chile from greenland from fiji from everywhere the all the top uh, president prime minister chief justice everybody was there rich uh, business people from hong kong scientists from i mean you you thought he's a publicly certified saint i felt and i convinced myself that he is what he claims to be said because i felt he cannot possibly tell a lie i mean i am from nature i think i'm very honest and i felt he cannot uh, he cannot tell a lie why would he tell a lie so that once i was sure that uh, since he can't tell a lie it must be true so when it when it's true then i have to stay also there i was never happy there really um but i thought my life is not meant to be happy really if if i want to see the truth if it helps me to see the truth to be here so then i yeah i i stay but then 
my face just slipped away. And it slipped a little bit gradually, but I still held on. You say, I cannot judge. That is a usual thing. What, what do we know? Uh, an enlightened being he can uh, behave in any way he does. But then one, one incident happened, a very banal incident, a very nothing special. And suddenly my whole face had slipped away and I felt strangely relieved. I didn't feel betrayed or anything and I still can't judge Sai Baba. He does a lot of good. He, he motivated many people to do charity. He, he helped, but for me it was time to leave. And when I finally left, it was a little difficult because my whole life collapsed. No? So I, I reached Bangalore and then my face. And the same day, it was Diwali day, in Bangalore evening, there was a notice board in the hotel that Karuna Mai is in town. So I went to see her and uh, she, uh, she was very helpful, sort of. When I, I, she did not know I'm writing, but I had a, she gave me time uh, to meet her alone. And when I came into this empty room, she was standing there with a fountain pen. And she, she gave it to me and said, you are a daughter of Saraswati, write about the divine. So, I mean, this was uh, a help. And when I left, she was saying, um, consider my ashram as your home. So this felt, uh, it felt so good. I knew I wouldn't go to another ashram. I never went to another ashram. Even so, I got attached to another guru somehow in the meditation group. But uh, I've, I mean, it, it helped me to get over this loss somehow. And uh, so that was, and she put me very much on meditation. She said, uh, Bhagwan is invisible. That means he is visible in you. So uh, try to try to find him. Just uh, and and it's real. I mean, we think this this uh, those people who take the act. Uh, Ma also said, and Ramana Marishi also said, don't take your role which you are playing on this stage too seriously. I mean, take it seriously. Play to the best of your ability, but uh, in the sense, always try to remember who you really are. I mean, an actor on the stage, he will not forget that in real life he's something else. So this should be our guiding uh, li uh, line also for for our life. Just to, I mean, it's it's not easy because it has to be granted that you remember. I mean, one other thing is like two chapa. Ma, Ma was one saying uh, there was a man who kept kept moving his mouth always. So she was asking him, what do you have in your mouth all the time? So uh, he said, but Ma, you told me that I should have always something sweet on my tongue. I have a toffee. No? So she was laughing and laughing and said, with something sweet, I meant Harikanam. There's nothing sweeter than his, than his name. So little things like this helped me. Also her attitude towards that was very, um, I mean, she just, it was for her very clear that it's just changing a dress. And when her mother had died, she was lying in state and Ma used to laugh very loudly and she recommended also to laugh very loudly. She said, you have to shake with laughter and don't just move your mouth. And uh, so she, she said, uh, when, when her Ma was lying, she was laughing and somebody told her, 
Ma, look, uh, your mother is lying here, no? It's not appropriate, really, to, that you uh, behave like this. And she said, what? Nothing has happened. I mean, it was for her so clear and so, that really nothing has happened. So I, I did a lot of meditation at that time again, which had, uh, I had neglected in, in Sai Baba's ashram, because the most, the main focus was on darshan. Now, does one need a guru? Ramana Maharishi was once asked, and he said yes, and he said even, I admit a guru for myself too. And then everybody was surprised and said, uh, but you don't have a guru, who is your guru? Then uh, he said, Atma. And I came to the conclusion, one does not have to search for a guru. If you really have interest to know yourself, and if you keep asking it, because it's conscious, it is actually the only thing which is conscious in us. So if we take it real, this is a, this is a thing I think, when, when, I, when I said 30 years ago, um, God is very close to me. And when you, I mean, it's a gradual proce process that you kind of maybe come a little closer or, or you feel it closer. And ultimately, I had also very beautiful experiences in the sense that you really can feel uh, what they say, that nothing in this world can compare with it. Such a subtle kind of blissful feeling or I don't know. It's a very subtle shift. It's not in my hand. I cannot, I cannot, I cannot do it. But uh, even the remembrance is beautiful and um, then compared this world of thought is quite um, boring. So sometimes I feel we should really stop thinking and just be aware what, what is, uh, what actually is true now. Just watch and and feel, or do chapa, or... So, does one need a guru? I, uh, maybe not. Nowadays, even there are videos, there's, the, the knowledge is available. And, uh, but since I was in South India at the time, I went to Amma, and I felt through her, something comes through. She's, I felt she's genuine, and uh, her first talk, not the second talk, her first talk was, made this beautiful feeling also. That I even I missed lunch for it. So when, when I did the basic course with Ravi Shankar, this intense breathing I found was very helpful. And uh, Swami Ramdev I met only in 2011. And then I moved to Dehradun. Dehradun was always a place which I really liked when Ananda my mom moved there. And uh, from the, I felt I really liked the place, outskirts of Dehradun. But when I reached there, I had to start again life completely new. And on top of it, the magazine for which I mainly wrote had uh, become insolvent. So it was, I was like of rudderless. I was lost some, somehow. So I went to Gangotri. And in Gangotri, there was nothing else to do than to do meditation and do, you are in this environment automatically. I stayed for three months. I got to know the scene quite well, also that there's even jealousy among, among the big gurus and uh, uh, it's even if you have renounced the world, the world is still there. I remember one discussion between some sadhus, it, they, they lacked 300 rupees because 
they have to pay the shopkeeper also if they take provision. And it was so difficult for them how, uh, no, to, to get those 300 rupees. So, but I, I met, a, I call him in my book VIP guru because I had talks with him every afternoon. He was an engineer in his earlier life. And it was very, he, everybody who tries to help you, tries to pull you back into yourself. And maybe this was also what I missed in, in Puttaparty, that there was the focus on future. There was always a waiting on the future somehow. That now uh, he was even saying in 1995, 200 heads of state will come and they will recognize that the avatars on earth and, and things like this. It was uh, a little not really in tune with what I understand by a spiritual life. So when I came back from uh, Gangotri and I, I settled in Dehradun, then I connected with uh, people. They were very kind. They invited me home. They co um, called me for even parties. And I did not know such people existed at that time. And, uh, but I discovered it, I think maybe first time when there was a, a debate on Ayodhya and I suggested um, it would be nice if the Muslims would uh, hand over the place to Hindus because for Hindus it's important, um, Ram was born there, for Muslims it's not important and on top of it there was a temple, a mandir, on which, which was destroyed and the mosque was built. And when I said this, those friends of mine, they were so upset. They were, I, I knew it was, it was completely unacceptable for them. It may have been maybe in 2005 or so. It, I think it was just when there was this news that there was actually a temple beneath when it came out. So they were so upset and I did not understand. And I, and I, got to, I discovered also that they were very, very negative about anything Hindu. Hindu was almost a bad word. And uh, my neighbor even, he called me then uh, RSS Pracharak and I, uh, and, and I stood up for Hindu Dharma. I would have much more preferred if I had said I am a Buddhist. Buddhist is okay. I, I don't know why. I really, I, it is very strange, but Hindu, Hindu this word. So I discovered slowly why they are like this. They didn't know, they had not even read the Bhagavad Gita, but they were very sure that uh, they have distanced themselves from their heritage and from their knowledge tradition. And it was very painful for me. And even with some, when I debated, uh, it was okay. I remember one very secular couple, the wife was okay, but she even told me, Maria, don't talk about these things. You will lose your friends. So I said, it uh, doesn't matter, no? <laughs> I mean, because uh, in fact, for some time I was very much alone because I, cut, I had to cut this up. Anyway, I don't like to go to parties. I'm not a party person, but uh, then I couldn't, it was all fine. They are nice people, very nice, very hospital, hospitable, but this issue was just a charring point and that they made so much fun of it. It, it, was, uh, it was painful for me. So I, I had to 
more or less leave and once i even asked an, an astrologer in is it is it uh, is it bad for me that i withdraw so much no it was at that time i didn't have a block yet also i was quite alone and then he said no no it's it's okay don't worry and then um, i discovered why they were so disconnected because this English medium education. I mean, it is it it is such a blunder, and I just can't understand how India can continue with. I mean, I am in a village, no? I talk to the wife of the watchman of my landlord. They all put their kids in English medium. Nobody speaks English, and even in seventh class, uh, the language is so difficult. Even I have to read it twice to understand what is meant, and he cannot understand. And why should a nine-year-old, fifteen-year-old know a link language? You don't need a link language at this time. Parents are there still. No? You don't have to throw children into English medium and tell them that only makes them level playing field with big people. Of course, it doesn't matter because these other people, when their child is two years, they coax it. What is this? No, uh, this is a window. This is. And I, my little boy, um, so one I pushed, unfortunately, into English because I, I felt so bad because his mother just, it was peer pressure also. No? And when I said, what is this? Kirky, Kursi, Mace, immediately. No? But the English just didn't get in. It was, um, yeah, it was, I feel English medium should be phased out and including in higher education because so many also uh, fall on the wayside even Srinivas Ramanujan would have fallen by the wayside no? if not somebody had discovered his notebook so then uh, he didn't manage this transition into college so it because only some 10 or 20 people ben benefit from this whole whole thing then uh, I got a shock in 2008. I remember before the Mumbai attack, suddenly Hindu terror, Muslim uh, Hindu terror, never Muslim terror, uh, Safro terror. And, uh, and I read once, uh, Heman Kakare was quoted in Times of India, 90% um, of my research or investigation goes into uh, investigating Hindu terror. I knew it cannot be true because Hindu, Dharma is based on Dharma and on Dharma does just not allow you to go into a railway station and shoot at, rando, at random to people, at people, it, or in a cafe or in a hotel. It may be possible like when, uh, when there was this uh, assassin, assassin, what is it, when, when somebody in Germany tried to kill Hitler, this can be Dharmic, no? You feel you have to get rid of somebody to save so many more people. This this is allowed in in Hindu Dharma, Dharma, but at random sh shooting it can never be true. And of course there are criminals, Hindu criminals, but a criminal will always have some try to have some benefit or some revenge. He has some motive. It's not that he goes out. It is very rarely and. And the, even psychologists, I was, I saw once on time uh, on Deutsche Welle on German. Uh, there was um, an attack in Germany had happened, and the anchor tried so hard, a psychologist, to make her say that this was a, a, psycho, a, psych, a psycho, 
psychopath. No, I mean he was not uh, mentally. And she, the psychologist said, psychopaths usually harm themselves first. So she just wouldn't uh, uh, oblige. But you could feel also that the anger tried so hard to con uh, to uh, excuse the perpetrator of this attack. So Hindu terror, luckily, thanks to really thanks to Tukaram Omble. I mean, if he had not caught this person alive, I think we had we would have a big big problem now. We would be equated with whatever, and even worse because we we can be attacked, but others cannot be attacked normally. So this would be really really a bad situation. But yesterday I discovered yes, it seems the project has not yet been given up. It still may come up that somebody was saying like small Hindu groups like Hindu Mahasabha or so, they try to, uh, uh, RSS is now too big, somebody said, but these groups they will try to push into, they are terrorists. It cannot be, it just cannot be that Hindus are terrorists for Hinduism's sake. I mean, they can be criminals, of course, but a criminal does not do a terror attack. And this should be very clear to us because so many Hindus also say there are extremists in all religions. If a Hindu is an extremist, he will be a good person. I mean, if he follows his his uh, no. And uh, but if a Muslim or Christian becomes an extremist in the sense that he literally follows what his doctrine says, then he will have to make the world free of those others. Christianity has to convert. Uh, everybody to Christianity and Islam um, has to not necessarily maybe convert, but uh, the world should be only for Allah. No? So we should be clear that this is in the text and uh, it is um, rape culture unfortunately stuck much better. In the West it's now terrible. They are really feeling that in India at every corner there is a rapist. It is really painful. I mean, you can bring statistics. Of course, if there is a culture which is least prone for rape, it is Hindu culture. And if there is now more rape in, in India, it is because so many people have left their culture. Not only those who went out to Islam and Christianity, but also Hindus who are not anymore following. And so that is the reason. It's not because of Hindu culture, but they try to uh, portray it as if this kind of Hindu, like my uh, this friends of mine, uh, Hindu is a um, bad word sort of. It's not, and you should really be aware of it and proud of it. Caste system, I, I won't go into it now, but then uh, Hindus need to be aware of the goal of Christianity and Islam. And uh, I think you are not aware that the goal is nothing less than to put your tradition also into a museum like the, all the other ancient tradition have been put into a museum. Sad to say, but we should be aware. The danger is there. And we sh I feel, yeah, I feel, I mean, Hindu Dharma is of course superior and needs to spread. But I feel uh, you have to be convinced that it is superior. And I, I just say one, one example. I was recently in, in a car. We went to Rishikesh. 
do Pushpendrakul Shri's talk actually mm -hmm. once. And uh, there was a very learned gentleman coming with me and uh, he has, has so many books and he had done book on Islam on it. So I read a little bit and I showed to him and said this passage, it can be in the Gita, it can be in Christianity, it's fully valid. It says surrender fully to Allah, trust fully in him, uh, have full faith in him, he will look after you and so no. Same thing is in the Bhagavad Gita or in Bhakti, in, I mean it's love God. No? Christianity also says trustfully. No? So I said this is just the same and that's why it is so dangerous to sort this out, so difficult to sort it out because Christianity and Islam are a mixture of truth, good things and untruths, which, which act like a poison actually. And the untruth is um, what is the supreme being to whom you should surrender? Surrender, okay. But you are supposed to surrender to Allah. Now who is Allah? Allah is very kind to those who believe in the Quran. But he is very not kind to those who, who don't believe. No? So, uh, this, uh, this cannot be. And I feel we should point this out. Christians also. You have to believe in Jesus to be eligible for being saved and being eligible to go to heaven. If you, like Swami Vivekananda, wonderful people, they would not be eligible because they didn't accept Jesus as their savior. So this cannot be true and I feel this we have to point out. We, we are not really, we go to interface dialogues and, uh, and say everything is fine and we respect this and we respect this and we are so happy that you benefit from being a Muslim and you benefit from being a Christian, I benefit also from being a Hindu. It's not this, we have to be more honest. We are not, we are not honest and we are not not courageous enough maybe also to, to say, it's so simple, I mean, normal people understand that it cannot be and many people also may have doubts, so many Christians have doubts now, they got out, we don't know how many Muslims have doubts because for them it's very difficult to stand up, but at least those who stand up, there are many ex-Muslims, we should support them. I, I said even earlier, in Germany we had a saying that shows that common people were always a bit more, more intelligent than their priests would think, then, uh, because there's a saying, um, when somebody obviously tells a lie, then they say, who believes it goes to heaven? <laughs> I mean, it's so unlikely that it is true, so that means uh, they Common people uh, were aware, but they couldn't say anything because there was heresy law also for Christianity. No? So, at present, we don't have heresy law yet, but uh, we should. It's so simple. I mean, how can the supreme being, which is behind this stupendous universe, how can he be biased towards people believing only in one book, Christian or Muslim, two competitors? and which came only some 2,000 years longest ago, when mankind is, who knows, 
I mean, more than 5,000, I'm sure. Even if it comes in 10,000 years, how does it make sense that only these uh, 8,000 years prior to Christ or prior to Muhammad uh, are uh, lost forever in hellfire? So this, it, it just doesn't make sense and we should have the courage to say it also. We never, we never pointed out that it is so unreasonable. Last one is sadhana. I really feel it is very important to do sadhana and if, if I could motivate you even a little bit to... However, you, there are so many ways to connect. You can connect via bhakti or jnana, reflecting or karma or even yoga and pranayama are helpful. And I feel also just ask for it. Ask that you get help, that you want to know the truth and uh, you need help for it. So this sadhana is, I, I feel, the most important thing. I mean, anybody, are you doing some meditation usually or, yeah? Mm -hmm. No, I think in India, India has a great advantage that it's still connected to all this, no? and somehow it's still in your blood, somehow. Yeah, but what Ma said, basically, when uh, people think uh, worldly enjoyment as the top, but it's, it's not worldly enjoyment. Even I was in the taxi now, and the taxi driver, he put some devotional music, and he was saying, I mean, we all were maybe sometimes foolish when we were young, or some learn it earlier, some learn it later, but uh, ultimately we, we have to come back to ourselves. Maybe I should tell also one thing, there's a chapter on Abdullah in my book, which may, have, may look a little odd. Abdullah, Abdullah, he was from, from Jordan. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, he had worked in Saudi Arabia, he was the oldest from 10 uh, brothers and sisters. And he read a book by Aurobindo, Basis of Yoga. And he was so much touched by it that he came to India. And I met him, I became quite attached to him actually, he was not attached. But he, he showed how beautiful this feeling of brotherhood can be when it is expanded to everybody. And somehow he gives me hope that it may be possible for our Indian brothers and sisters who have gone out of Hindu Dharma, even so Swami Vivekananda was quite clear, because they are so much brainwashed. They are getting, they are getting more brainwashed than when you live in a, in a normal environment where everybody is Christian. Like we Christians are not as brainwashed as the Indian Christians. I, I really discovered this one. I was in a Christian ashram in, in uh, Tamil Nadu. And uh, usually Pete Griffith was the head of it. 
and usually he would talk very, uh, how to say, very uh, generous. He would say uh, Hindu Dharma, Buddhism, very good, no? but Christianity has the same thing, something like this. So once I came to the meditation hall, when he gave a talk to uh, Indian uh, Kerala novices, uh, not novices, uh, who would become nuns. And I couldn't, I couldn't understand how he could say what he said. I don't remember what he said, but it was completely different. So I went straight to him after the talk to his hut and said, Father Pete, how can you say this? Then he said, I have to strengthen their faith, otherwise they don't know where the, where the border to Hinduism is. It's, it's sad, no? So they, they are very much, and this fear of hell is a big impediment for Christians and for Muslims to get out, because what if it is true? This, 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 I, got a, I got a mail from a 38-year-old American, and he wrote that, uh, I like very much your articles, they helped me a lot, and so on. But then he said, but it's, you may find it strange, but sometimes I still think, what if the church is right? <laughs> it's not easy to get it out. No? We have to we have to figure this in also how how we can actually help them. When sometimes I think when we say they should go to uh, whatever now in Germany we have big problem also let them go to their countries where they belong to. But ultimately those countries also 1500 years ago, no, they were quite normal people. They did not believe that we we belong to hell. And we should tell them it cannot be. I am not going to hell. So, <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean. So, well, thank you very much.